and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit every Sunday morning during this time when we cannot yet gather together in person. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty, living in the spirit of love and in right relationship with one another. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you to our service this morning. If you're new to the church, I I especially want to welcome you. We're so glad you've joined us. If you look in the comments or scroll down on our Facebook page, you will find a link you can follow that will allow you to fill out our online visitor form. We'd love to know more about you. And if you have the ability to make comments, please feel free to say hello and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's weave those divine sparks together now, either by greeting each other in the comments or by simply sensing the heartstring connections that bind us together. We now kindle a fire as a passion for justice burns in our hearts. Its light gives us glimpses of the many creative possibilities that surround us. Its warmth radiates into our very souls, connecting the divine spark within each of us, binding us together in beloved religious community. The words of the Salvadoran journalist and poet Roque Dalton. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return. In times of mourning and in times of joy, inscribe them on your doorposts. Embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders. Teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. One of the ways in which we maintain a sense of connection as a religious community during this time when we can't gather in person yet is to have a common sense of purpose. That purpose for First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin is our mission. We hold it in our hearts all through the week and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together. We nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. To help us develop a deeper understanding of that term, beloved community, we have each week a moment for beloved community. I want to talk to you today about a story that was on several news sites recently. It's about an African-American real estate agent in the town of Wyoming, Michigan. He was showing a home that was for sale to an African-American man and that man's teenage son. A while before that, a different African-American teenager had broken into the home and was basically squatting there. Well, a white neighbor saw the three of them entering the home and called the police. Now, the two teenagers had very different builds and looked nothing alike. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I find it hard to believe that a runaway would go to the place where they want to find a place to be a squatter and bring their father and a real estate agent with a key to the house. 
Anyway, the police arrived, they surrounded the house, they drew their guns and demanded that all three of them come out with their hands in the air. They put handcuffs on them. They put the father in the back of a patrol car and the son in the back of a different patrol car. They were interrogating the real estate agent who, in one of the stories that I read, said that he had credentials in his wallet to show them that he was a real estate agent, but he was afraid if he reached for it, they would think he was reaching for a weapon and he could get shot. So he invited one of the officers to pull his wallet out for him. Fortunately, they did so, saw his credentials, and realized it was all a big mistake, and let them go. I have to wonder, though, if the two teenagers, the real estate agent and the father, had all been white, would any of this ever happen? So for those of us who identify as white, what we need to know and help other white people to understand is that if we call the police in situations involving people of color, we could be putting them at danger, even for their very lives, and even, as in this case, if they've committed no crime. Sonia Renee Taylor is a black American performance poet, artist, activist, and transformational leader. She is the founder and radical executive officer of The Body is Not an Apology, a digital media and education company promoting radical self-love and body empowerment as the foundational tool for social justice and global transformation. These are her words. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. What we have been forced to leave behind, we needed to leave behind. What is getting us through is what we will need to take forward. All the rest is up to us. Dream while we have so much time. Dream of the life you want. Dream of the world you desire to live in. What is the dream then? From there, we can add to the collective weaving of whatever it is that is next. If we are going to heal, let it be glorious. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves. We breathe together through virtual space. Breathing in, And breathing out, we feel the love that exists within and among this community. A love so powerful that it can transform virtual space into beloved religious community. Breathing in and breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside. A place of greater wisdom a place of openness to possibility and creativity. That place where a spark of the divine resides in each of us. 
breathing together, we enter a time of sacred silence together. If you are in a situation where there are children's sounds or other human sounds, know that we hold those as a part of the sacred silence. Breathing in, breathing out, let us enter into that time of silence together. have some music during which I invite you to continue your breathing and centering and if you wish to light a candle a candle representing sorrows joys, remembrances hopes a story about two salespeople who were sent to a remote tribal village in the 1900s to find out if there was any opportunity for selling shoes made by the company for which they worked. Well, as soon as they got there, they both sent back telegrams to the home office at their company. One of them wrote, situation helpless, stop, they don't wear shoes. The other one wrote, though, glorious opportunity, stop, they don't have any shoes yet. 
September, we'll be exploring the topic of embracing possibility in several of our classes and other church activities. And I think this story illustrates that even in relatively okay times and situations, it can sometimes be difficult to perceive and embrace the possibilities available to us. Now, the second salesperson clearly was very open to possibility. But like that first salesperson, so often we can get into sort of a rut, sometimes maybe just because of the necessary routines of daily living. We can develop restricted ways of thinking and of experiencing our world that limit our creative potential. Well, it is fortunate then that studies have found that there are some fairly simple ways we can open ourselves to possibility more. Just as they benefit us in many other ways, music, dancing, exercise, the arts, storytelling, play, movies, reading, and the like can help us perceive and embrace possibilities. They take us out of the routines of daily life. Religious community and spiritual practices can do this also. Research has found that practicing gratitude is one of our strongest ways to enhance creative thinking. Meditation and other spiritual practices can also help us grasp the potentialities that lie before us. In spring of 2014, I was taking the very last required class before I could finally graduate from seminary. My seminary was a long-distance program wherein we did most of the work, classwork at our homes. Anyway, the work for that class had this particular routine pattern. Read a lot. Read some more. Read, 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 read. Read a lot more. Write a paper. Rinse and repeat for a second and third time. Well, this routine had pretty much stifled my creativity by the time I had to write that third paper. And then I also suddenly realized I had kind of written myself into a corner in my first two papers. All three sets of readings for the papers addressed pretty much the same themes, and I had written the first two papers so broadly that by the second paper, I had already addressed all of the major themes from all of the readings. I had no idea what I could possibly write about for that third paper in order to be able to graduate. Well, finally, I took a break, went out into our backyard. It was a beautiful, cool spring day. I walked all around our backyard over and over again, meditating, forcing myself not to think about that looming paper. Of course, though, eventually I had to go back in and get back to it. But then suddenly, as I sat down at my computer, it came to me that though the third set of readings addressed the same themes, they did so in ways that could be read as a critique of the theses I had chosen about those themes for my first two papers. So I wrote the third paper basically as a critical review of my first two papers. Luckily, my instructor was a Unitarian Universalist, so of course they just loved it that I was being argumentative especially with myself. I got an A and graduated seminary. So meditation helped me see a new possibility. And these are some things that can help us embrace possibility even in times that are relatively okay. 
When we find ourselves in situations that are difficult, though, they become even more vital. Really, really tough, even painful situations like, oh, I don't know, living through a pandemic can make it very hard to imagine new possibility. So we need these experiences and these practices to help us through. And we may also be able to awaken ourselves to not yet imagine potentialities by asking ourselves what we have learned from the experience, as difficult as it has been sometimes. Researchers have been asking people what they hope for after the pandemic. pandemic. Here are just a few of the common responses. More caring and kindness deeper relationships, really living into life's experiences, treating health as more than what happens at a medical facility, finding ways to love more deeply than before, doing for others and the planet. These from folks across the ideological spectrum And likewise, I think we can now envision a lot of possibility about ways of being and doing, a much deeper sense of how truly interconnected we are, new ways of imagining work and the workplace, greater comfort with stillness, realizing that love is still possible even from a distance. Again, those are just a few possibilities we might now embrace. And, and early research has begun to find that the pandemic and months of sheltering in place have begun to awaken more and more people to issues such as global inequalities as well as inequities within individual nations. People are awakening to systemic racism and other forms of oppression. They are beginning to realize the extreme weather events we've been witnessing as being due to global climate change. And the pandemic has revealed the brokenness of our educational, health, and criminal justice system to a lot of folks. Again, these are just a few examples, and I know there are still many who haven't had these awakenings. But more and more are. In recent conversations with some of my politically conservative loved ones, I have been pleasantly surprised at how they expressed a new awareness of one or more of these. And as more people awaken, we can begin to cast a vision for change, creating a better and more just world, a world reset in the aftertimes because of the possibilities awakening within more and more folks. I want to turn now to how even our worst times of loss, grief, and sorrow may contain the seeds of possibility in our future if we find healthy ways to move forward with them. On October 3, 2014, Nora McInerney suffered through a miscarriage. Then on October 8th, her father died. And then on November 25th, her husband, Aaron, died of brain cancer. She was devastated. Part of the way she began to heal, though, was by forming groups, forming ways to help others who were grieving losses. 
In talking to them, she discovered that, like for her, one of the things that they found most hurtful was when other people advised them to just move on. I want to let her tell you her response to that and how moving forward with her loss opened up new possibilities. Now, since 2014, I will tell you I have remarried a very handsome man named Matthew. We have four children in our blended family. We live in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. We have a rescue dog. I drive a minivan, like the kind where doors open. I don't even touch them. Like, like by any measure, life is good. I've also never said measure. I've never once said it that way. where that came from (laughs) I've never heard anyone else say it that way but it looks like it should be said that way and that's why the English language is trash (laughs) so so impressed with anyone who like speaks it in addition to a language that makes sense so good job Um, but by any measure by any measure life is really really good but I haven't moved on I haven't moved on, and I hate that phrase so much, and I understand why other people do, because what it says is that Aaron's life and death and love are just moments that I can leave behind me and that I probably should. And when I talk about Aaron, I slip so easily into the present tense, and I've always thought that made me weird. And then I notice that everybody does it. And it's not because we are in denial or because we're forgetful. It's because the people we love, who we've lost, are still so present for us. So when I say, oh, Aaron is, it's because Aaron still is. And it's not in the way that he was before, which was much better. And it's not in the way that churchy people tried to tell me that he would be. It's just that he's indelible. And so he's present for me here he's present for me in the work that I do and the child that we had together and these three other children I'm raising who never met him who shared none of his DNA but who are only in my life because I had Aaron and because I lost Aaron he's present in my marriage to Matthew because Aaron's life and love and death made me the person that Matthew wanted to marry so I've not moved on from Aaron I've moved forward with him I'll close with how in extremely difficult times we can help each other find possibility some of you have heard me talk about the time in Houston I spent doing HIV AIDS treatment research at first there were just no effective treatments for the disease we lost so many Raul was one who was especially difficult for me. Raul had moved to Houston from Puerto Rico and took a job with me as our office administrator. He was kind and smart and talented and funny and did such great work for the organization. We shared an office together, so we got to be very close. Raul had HIV. Eventually, his immune system began to fail, and he started getting sick. My spouse, Wayne, was his physician at the time. For a while, he was able to help Raul recover from a number of various AIDS-related illnesses. 
Eventually, though, Raul came down with an infection for which there was no treatment. Eventually, he became so ill and weak that he went into a hospice where they could at least try to alleviate his suffering. I went to visit him just before he died. I wish I could tell you that it was a beautiful death, (laughs) whatever that means. It wasn't. He was suffering, and he had lost control of his bodily functions. And even there in the hospital, he kept fighting it, and he was angry. He had every right to be. He was 26 years old. Mercifully, the pain medication they were infusing into him eventually helped him fall asleep. I sat there with him in that quiet hospital room and thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. The sense of loss suddenly seemed too overwhelming. I couldn't imagine any possible way I could keep doing AIDS research work. I wanted to run. I wanted to hide. I wanted to forget the devastation happening all around me. Eventually, though, I had to get myself up and go home where I fell into Wayne's loving arms. Eventually, I talked to other folks I loved who were doing similar work, and they helped me begin to perceive the possibilities that would allow me to keep going, which largely involved letting myself slow down, letting myself take time to feel the emotions and to take better care of myself. And together, we, all of us, held on to our love for each other and a vision of the day when we would find effective treatments. And eventually, eventually, that day came. Still, like with Raul, we lost too many shining souls along the way. But as in the video we watched earlier, We didn't move on without them. We moved forward with them. Raul and so many others are a part of who I have become. And despite this time when I can't get to be with you all in person, still, you are a part of who I am becoming even now as I hope in at least some small way I am for you. You are a part of who your fellow participants in this religious community, even through virtual space, are becoming, as they are for you. The return of the pandemic surging because of the Delta variant has been so very difficult especially after the vaccines becoming available, had offered us our first glimmers of hope after so many long, hard months of living in pandemic isolation. So many of us were just beginning to be able to visit with family and loved ones after being separated for so long. 
we had begun to dream of returning into returning to in-person worship services and activities here at the church. Now all of that has been called into question, put on standby by a virus resurgent. It's a terribly difficult time. There are moments when I'm having to find ways to keep from slipping into despair. So I know, I know it can be so hard now to even imagine the possibilities that still lie before us. It can be so difficult to hold on to that vision for the aftertimes, that dream of making a better world based at least in part on what we have learned from living through a pandemic. My beloveds, we will need each other and all of those we love. We will need to help each other be able to see the possibilities that do still exist for us. So hold on to all that you love and all of where you find love in your lives. Hold on to your love for one another and all of those who are dear to you. Hold on to your love for humanity and for all of life and creation. Hold on to love. For within it, possibilities still abundant are calling you forward. Now please join me as we say our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we go back into our daily lives now, I invite you to imagine, envision, dream, these are how we connect our lives and our world with the divine. I send you much love. I wish you much peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.